Thank you for coming again. I know there's uh, a few of you travelled quite a distance again, so that's, that's really good to see. Um, and we've all really appreciated the fellowship time as well, which is, you know, it's, uh, it's all it's what this is about. And, uh, so let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for just being amongst us. We thank you that we recognised your presence here yesterday. We thank you for what you revealed to us. And Father, we, we just pray now as we uh, we hear what Eddie is, uh, is, is bringing to us, uh, that you will open our hearts and minds to, to see the hidden mysteries that you, you desire for us to see. And Father, I just pray that, it, that you'll release an atmosphere of revelation into this room and, and revelation for Eddie as he expands the word to us. We just pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Yes. Amen. Shalom and welcome to another day of our conference. The theme of this conference is the Bride of Messiah. And so yesterday, all day, we shared with you a teaching which I entitled The Journey of the Bride. And the purpose of that teaching is to help you to see that the whole Bible is communicating to us that the Messiah, that is Yeshua, he desires to have a bride. And the purpose for the creation of the world is that ultimately he would have a people that would be his bride that he would live and dwell with forever and that's going to be in the new Jerusalem and so in order to understand this uh, we need to understand biblical marriage and that there's two primary stages in a biblical marriage and the first is called betrothal wherein you are legally married, but you do not physically dwell with your spouse. And then the second stage of the marriage is when you physically um, then live with your spouse and you consummate the marriage and you dwell with. Now, once you enter into the first stage of the marriage, wherein you are betrothed and legally married, if your spouse is unfaithful, then there can be a request made of a divorce. So even though you haven't consummated the marriage and lived together yet, following betrothal, there can be a divorce. And this was the marital situation with Mary and Joseph and Matthew in chapter one. They were betrothed to each other. And then while they were betrothed, Joseph discovered that Mary was pregnant with child. Initially, he thought that she was unfaithful to him, so he was going to go and get a divorce. But then the Lord intervened and said, no, what you perceive to be is not so, that that which is of her is of the Ruach HaKodesh, of the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph went on and um, went, entered into the second stage of marriage with Mary. And of course, um, Yeshua was raised um, as a part of his family. And so uh, we need to understand what the Bible describes over and over again is the following process that there is a covenant made or there is a marriage made and then um, we uh, mankind uh, israel is unfaithful to the covenant unfaithful um, in the marriage and so as a result the god of israel calls for separation now as it relates to the house of jacob which got split up into Northern Kingdom and Southern Kingdom, that uh, because of covenant or marital unfaithfulness, 
the northern kingdom was given a bill of divorce, as we're told in Jeremiah in chapter 3 and verse 8. And the scripture says, for the sake of David and the promises that was made to King David, that even though the southern kingdom was unfaithful as well, um, that they remained linked in and with and to the covenant. So the northern kingdom was cut off from the covenant and part of the calling in the commandments of the Torah is that you're to redeem the firstborn. Well, the northern kingdom, the first king of the northern kingdom was Jeroboam and he was from the tribe of Ephraim. The leading tribe of the ten tribes of the northern kingdom was the tribe of Ephraim. Now, Ephraim, back in Genesis chapter 48, was given the blessing of the firstborn and, and giving the birthright. And so, therefore, the northern kingdom then became a firstborn nation. And the southern kingdom was headed by the tribe of Judah. And so, those tribes that were sojourning with Judah, which were Benjamin and Levi, the southern kingdom became known as the house of Judah. And so since the southern kingdom was led by the tribe of Judah, and we're told in Genesis chapter 49 that the scepter, the kingship, was given to Judah, the southern kingdom is a kingship nation. Well, in the book of Hosea, we're told that the judgment of the northern kingdom for being unfaithful to the covenant, to the marriage made at Mount Sinai, that they were cut off and they were given the status of not my people. But there was a promise of restoration that the people that were not a people were to become a people. Now, the northern kingdom being headed by the tribe of Ephraim, they are a firstborn nation, and the Torah says you must redeem the firstborn. And so Yeshua is the heavenly firstborn. There was no one on the earth to redeem the firstborn once the firstborn nation departed from the covenant and departed from the Torah. It was cut off from the covenant. So Yeshua comes as heaven's firstborn, and he's the firstborn of creation. He created the heavens and the earth, so he comes as heaven's firstborn to redeem the firstborn. And so he dies on the tree, sheds his blood, and offers the northern kingdom to come back into covenant, covenant relationship. He calls for Judah to return to the covenant as well. So both have to return to the covenant because they departed from the covenant but the northern kingdom was cut off from the covenant. Even though the southern kingdom wasn't, they still departed. So they both had to return. That's the Hebrew word shuv. Shuv means to return, to repent or return. So the calling of his people in the Torah, after they've broken the covenant, is to return to the God of Israel, to return to the Torah, to return to the covenant. So then in Yeshua, dying on the tree, he then restores covenant relationship. He renews the covenant. And so even though it says in our translations, a new covenant, in Hebrew, in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, it is a renewed covenant. So he renews the relationship. And when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, it wasn't just the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who came out of Egypt and put the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost. There were those that were native born in the land of Egypt. And they're called in Exodus chapter 12, the mixed multitude, they're also called in the Torah strangers. So the Torah teaches that when the God of Israel redeems his people on behalf of his covenant promise, and in this case, the covenant promise he made initially to Abraham that went to Isaac and Jacob, that he invites all those who want to be a part of the covenant to be included in the covenant promise. So this is how those in Egypt and the mixed multitude and the strangers 
got the benefit and the blessing if they would put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost that was designated to Abraham and his seed. And so this covenant relationship that Yeshua has with his people is in the context of an understanding of a marriage covenant. And so at Mount Sinai there was a marriage we're told in Jeremiah chapter 2 and that marriage was a betrothal. It was a betrothal. And so actually if you um, understand things in the context of the biblical marriage what Christians call salvation uh, making Yeshua Savior and Lord of your life um, that is actually a betrothal. And so our present condition with Him is a betrothal. He doesn't physically live and dwell with us. The, the physical living and dwelling is going to come at His second coming when He returns. And so when He returns, He's going to enter into the second stage of the marriage. And so we looked at the bigger picture. I called the journey of the bride where the relationship of Messiah with and to his bride is prophetically foreshadowed in the Garden of Eden, in the marriage between Adam and Eve. And Paul gave us this link. He linked Adam and Eve's marriage with the relationship between Yeshua and his congregation in a marriage relationship in Ephesians in chapter and so then we looked at this marriage relationship yesterday in detail beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden and seeing how it plays out clear to the end even to Revelation 21 and Revelation 22 so what we're going to do today um, is we're going to go over requirements to be the bride of Messiah. That is to, to be the people that he's going to physically dwell with. Because once you've made Yeshua Savior and Lord of your life, once you've repented of your sins and confessed him as your Messiah, as your Savior, as your Lord, now you are betrothed and now you're called to be you're called to be faithful in your commitment to Him. And so, if you're faithful to Him, He's going to, when He returns, He's going to come and you will rule and reign with Him. If you're unfaithful in your service, um, then you're going to get a rebuke and He's going to say, I never knew you. And so... The uh, other concept, major concept you need to um, understand, understand the bride and the bridal relationship between Messiah and his people is we're told in Hebrews in chapter 8 and verse 5 that the tabernacle that was built in the wilderness, that it was patterned after the tabernacle in heaven and that heaven is a tabernacle. In Revelation chapter 21, in verse 1, it says, I, John, saw a new heavens and a new earth. And then it says in verse 3, For behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And so, in the earthly tabernacle, of which it's a pattern of the heavenly tabernacle, the earthly tabernacle had levels of holiness. And so, the lower level of holiness of holiness was the outer court. A higher level of holiness is the holy place. And the highest level of holiness is the holy of holies. And there was only one way to get in to the tabernacle. There was a door on the eastern side of the tabernacle. So Yeshua is that door. He's the way into the tabernacle. So the tabernacle represents um, what you might think of as heaven and spending eternity with Yeshua. And so what we're prophetically shown 
is that the largest area of the tabernacle is the outer court. That's a prophecy. That the, the largest, the majority of people who are believers in Yeshua as the Messiah will be at the level of the outer court. The smallest area was the Holy of Holies. And so um, a remnant of the tabernacle, a remnant of his people is going to be at the status of the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is equivalent to the new Jerusalem. But from the outer court to the Holy of Holies symbolizes a progression of growth. And so um, the bride is called in her faithfulness. She is ultimately called to be spiritually mature, to be a spiritual adult instead of a spiritual child. And we saw this concept yesterday in Genesis, in chapter 17, where in the calling of Abraham, um, it was said, walk before me and be thou, and the King James says perfect. And the, the word perfect is the Strong's number 8549. It's the Hebrew word to me. And we looked at various places in the scripture where that word is found and how it's translated. So in Psalm 119 verse 1, it's translated as undefiled. In Exodus chapter 12 verse 5, it's translated as without blemish. And so the bride and Messiah has the spiritual characteristic of being... Tamim, being without blemish. And Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5, that the bride is without spot and without blemish. Now, without spot does not mean that you've never sinned. It means that you're walking in spiritual maturity. And what is the representation of what it looks like to walk in spiritual maturity? You will have manifested in your life what's called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is walking in spiritual maturity. Because in the relationship between Yeshua and his bride, the terms of the marriage is to follow the Torah. And she says to him when she accepts his offer for marriage that she's not going to live a sinful lifestyle that she's going to live in a way to please him, love him and keep his commandments, which means to follow his Torah. And so this is the commitment that the bride of Messiah makes, and that is to follow his Torah, but she's unable to do it in her own ability, in her own wisdom, in her own understanding. And so in order to help her to keep his Torah in the renewed covenant, we are given his indwelling Holy Spirit. And so we follow the Torah through the help and the inspiration and the guidance and the leading of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And if we're led by the Spirit, as Paul says, then we are the sons of God. Now, son of God is just a term that represents and means that you're obedient. Because if a son is obedient to his father, his father is proud of his son, oftentimes the father will say, that's my son. Because the son has done something that is well-pleasing in the eyes of the father. And so then the father says, he's my son. And so a son of God means somebody that's obedient. A son of God um, is somebody as well that is spiritually mature. And so um, when you become a believer in Yeshua as Messiah, it says in John chapter 1 verse 12, as many as received him, to them gave he power to be called the sons of God. And so um, we're given the position of right standing with him but we need to be faithful in order to maintain um, uh, our relationship with Him. So um, I'm going to be sharing with you today this teaching, which is actually 
details from the bigger picture that I shared with you all day yesterday. And so I entitled all day yesterday to be the journey of the bride. Now I'm going to show you the details of what it means for the bride to faithfully follow Yeshua and to love Him and keep His commandments. And the basic idea of what I'm going to be showing you is that there's this principle or concept that whenever we first repent of our sins and declare from our heart that we believe that Yeshua is the Messiah and He becomes our Savior and we endeavor to make Him Lord of our lives, we are at that moment a spiritual child, a spiritual baby. And by meditating upon the, the Word of God, studying the Word of God, and then yielding to the Holy Spirit, we grow in our faith. And so we grow from being a child to being spiritually mature, to being a spiritual adult. Once again, what does it look like when you're a spiritual adult? Um, you're going to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And so, first we're going to communicate to you the concept that, um, and what are the characteristics of one that is a child or a babe in Messiah? And then what are the characteristics of those that are spiritually mature? And so the people that Messiah is going to come for and dwell with, in other words, enter into the second stage of the marriage, are those within his body who are spiritually mature. And they then are going to rule and reign with him in his kingdom. And it says in Revelation chapter 5 verse 10, he's made us under our God, kings and priests, and we will reign on the earth. So that's an overview of what we covered yesterday and what we are going to be covering today. And so this is going to be the biblical requirements of being the dwelling bride of the Messiah. I alternatively called this teaching how to become a disciple of Yeshua. What does it mean to give your life to Him? What does it mean to follow Him? Because, you see, um, whether you recognize it or not, that um, whether or when you decide whether you're going to, I'm going to speak in traditional terms, but whether you decide to go to church or not, you're voting. I mean, if you go, you're voting for, and if you're not, you're voting against. And so, uh, if you vote for, the more people that there are in a gathering, um, then usually there's an offering. And so it's beneficial to the church if more people come to the church than less people come to the church. And so ultimately, um, the people vote by their attendance. They vote by their commitment and um, their support of the church. And so the, the church um, desires that there be more people that comes. Well, in order to attract more people, uh, since basically the people are dictating um, what... Uh, the church is bringing forth that if there's a message that attracts a greater number of people then that is beneficial to the church because more people come and more people support the church and so rather than telling you the truth uh, because if you're told the truth what happens is the majority of the people don't like the truth. <laughs> and so when the majority of people are told the truth, they'll leave and they won't come. Well, if you don't come, then that's not good for the church. So because the majority of the people don't come, it's not in the best interest of the church as they would view it to tell you the, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. <laughs> and so therefore, what sells is if they come and tell you it's all love, it's all grace, you don't have to do anything, it's all free, let's love each other and hug each other and all be happy and go home. Now, that's what most people want to hear, so that's what draws the most people. So that ends up being the message that is proclaimed by the church and emphasized 
to draw the people. But the problem is that's not a message and that's not a dedication that's going to get you to be the bride that Messiah is coming to dwell with. That's not going to get you into the New Jerusalem. It might get you into the outer court, but it's not going to get you in the New Jerusalem. Um, I don't know about you, but if his desire and if his will for me is to dwell with him in the New Jerusalem, as if that's his will, then I want his will. Yes. Yes. If he's made it possible for that to be the case, I want to be there. Yes. I can't comprehend anyone who wouldn't want that. Mm. But I have actually heard people and heard testimonies of people and say, well, as long as I barely make it in, that's good enough. Well, you know, um, it says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, it says, and he will wipe away all tears from their eyes. Well, why are you crying for? You're crying because you see what was offered to you, what was available, what he made all provision for, and you didn't walk in it. Um, and so, um, um, I want to share with you what Paul called in Philippians chapter 3, the high calling. And Paul said that he pursued the high calling of God. And so it's what it biblically and Hebraically means to be a follower of the Messiah, to be a disciple of the, of the Messiah. What it means and what are the characteristics and the requirements to be the bride that Messiah is going to dwell with. That is what we're going to cover. And so... The first thing we're going to explain and share with you is what's the meaning of a disciple? Well, a disciple is a student. In Matthew, in chapter 20, verse 17, it says, And Yeshua, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them. So the word disciple is the Strong's number 3101 in the Greek dictionary. It means one that learns. It means a pupil. And so we begin by being taught, by learning what it means to follow the Messiah. And so what is the instruction manual that we learn from? It's his word. It's his Torah. And so a disciple must be willing to follow. In John chapter 1 verse 43 it says... The day following, Yeshua would go forth into Galilee and found Philip and said unto him, Follow me. A disciple must be willing to follow. We can also see this in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. It says, In Yeshua, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me. And here's the outcome of following him. I will make you fishers of men. If you're properly taught in Yeshua, he will instruct you about how not only to live your own personal life, but to be a fisher of men. And so, um, when you first receive and accept Yeshua as your Savior, as your Lord, as your Messiah, which comes by repenting of your sins and asking Him into your heart and into your life. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow. You see the concept? You're to grow. <coughs> now, when one is a baby, it's okay. It's actually good for the baby to have milk. And so there's no problem when you're a babe uh, that you're drinking of the milk of the Word because that will help you and cause you to grow. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, while you are a baby, you are still what the Scriptures call carnal. Because um, you know how a literal baby acts? Um, if it wants something, it cries and it makes a fuss and it makes everyone know that that's what they want. And you must come and do what they want to do at that moment if you want the crying to stop. 
So they're drinking milk, but they're really carnal. They're, they're all about themselves. And you need to pay attention to me. And so um, this is a characteristic still of a babe in Messiah. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. Now, spiritual is mature. But I could only speak unto you even as being carnal, being babes and Messiah. There you have a definition. Carnal, carnal, a babe in Messiah. So you're in Messiah. That's good. You're in Messiah. But you're a babe and you're carnal. And so look what the meaning of babe is. It's the Strong's number 3516. Remember that. The Strong's number 3516, it means childish, untaught, unskilled. Next, given that, given that one that is a carnal is a babe in Messiah, carnal is babe in Messiah, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 verse 7, the carnal mind is an enemy against God. It's not subject to the Torah of God. Neither indeed can it be. Okay, so uh, when you get to be an adult, and even before you get to be an adult, you learn that when you live in this world, you have to interact with others. And the Bible calls you to be kind and loving to others, to give to others, to serve to others, to don't cheat others, to be nice. All right, does a baby understand that they're supposed to love and give and serve others and be kind and nice and compassionate? Well, not really. You know, they're all concerned about, I want fed now. Okay, give me what I want now. All right, so they're not actually operating according to the Torah of God that calls one to love one another. And to love your neighbor as yourself. So the carnal mind is an enemy against the Torah. It's not subject to the Torah. So now given that you see he's defining what a carnal mind is. It's really still not following the Torah. It says so they that are in the flesh. You see a definition of what it means to be in the flesh. They're not subject to the Torah of God. So that they are in the flesh. So being in the flesh means you're not following the Torah. Being in the flesh means you're not following the Torah. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, I was not able to speak unto you as spiritual, but carnal. But what is spiritual? Romans chapter 7, verse 14. For the Torah is spiritual. See, he wanted to talk to them and explain to them the Torah, the principles of the Torah, what it means to follow the Torah, the high levels of the Torah, which is how you treat one another, get along with one another, help one another. Um, and so following the Torah is spiritual. But I am carnal, sold under sin. So he says in Romans 8, 6, to be carnally minded is death. Well, if you are a new believer, you're still carnal. So you can be a believer and be carnally minded, and you're not going to get the benefits of the Word of God, walking in the Word of God, and the blessings for walking in the Word of God, even though you're a believer, if you're carnal. But to be spiritually minded is shalom. To be spiritually minded is life. And life in Hebrew is chai. And we um, want others to be have shalom. And that's why when we see someone, we say shalom. Yes. And what we're really saying when we say shalom is, what is the condition and your status of shalom? How is it? And so uh, when we make a toast, we say l'chaim. And so we want you to have life. Chai is the best that life can give you. And so to, to have the best that life can give you, 
You have to be spiritually minded, which means you need to believe in Yeshua, follow His Torah by His Spirit. Now, if you look up in a Thayer's Greek lexicon coded to the Strong's, it will tell you that this Greek word that's translated as babe, which is the Strong's number 3516, it will tell you that it corresponds to the Hebrew word pati, which is translated in Psalm 119 verse 130 as simple. So pati is the corresponding Hebrew word for the Greek that got translated as babe. So let's see what it says about the babe in Psalm 119 verse 130. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So a babe and Messiah needs to be taught in the Word of God. A babe and Messiah needs to learn the Torah, the principles of the Torah, how to follow the Torah. And it will cause the simple to have understanding, to be wise. So what does it mean um, to have understanding, to have wisdom? Because this is what the simple obtain through the Torah. What is understanding? What is wisdom? 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 7. David said to Solomon, verse 12, Only Yahweh give you wisdom and understanding. Now what is wisdom and understanding? That you may keep the Torah of Yahweh your Elohim. So wisdom and understanding is following the Torah. Psalm 119, verse 34. Give me understanding and I will keep your Torah. Now in Psalm 19, verse 7, it says, The Torah of Yahweh is tamim. Yes. The Torah of Yahweh is mature. It's complete. It's whole. And it changes the heart. It changes the soul. Yes. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the babe. Yes. Making wise the simple. And so in order to grow, you need to be taught in the Torah. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 7. Whosoever keeps the Torah is a wise son. And so what? They were, they were wise virgins and foolish virgins. Now what made the virgins wise? They followed the Torah. Yes. Now, if you don't have a Torah background, how do you interpret the five wise virgins and the five foolish? Well, the five wise. Uh, let's see, they were believers. Uh, let's see, the five foolish. I think they're unbelievers. <laughs> Instead of the foolish are those that don't follow the Torah, and the wise are those that do follow the Torah. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for until this time you were not able to bear it. And so a baby is to grow so that they can begin to eat solid food and ultimately they can eat meat. But when they're just born, they can't eat meat. They have to have milk. So Hebrews chapter 5 verse 13 says, Everyone that uses milk, that's a babe, is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So I'm a babe, I'm a believer, but I'm unskilled in being a believer. I'm, I'm unskilled in following the Word of God. I'm unskilled in following the Torah. So therefore, the only thing that I have to live my life and make decisions is according to my mind and the logic of my mind. And where do I learn in my mind how to live my life? Well, every day I'm practicing in my mind and learning the world and the world system and the world's values. We go to school 
to learn the world's ways and the world's values. So you get trained and you understand that. Um, but in doing that, if you, you neglect the Word of God and the Torah of God, then you are not going to know God's ways. You're going to be unskillful in the word of righteousness. So what's a characteristic of someone that's a believer and somebody that is carnal? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. For are you yet carnal? For whereas there is among you envy and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? And so that's what the flesh does. All times want to fight and divide. Well, what's the opposite of Indians and strife and divisions? Love one another, serve one another, give to one another, be kind to one another, lay down your life. See, the, these are the opposite traits of Indians and strife and divisions. But the carnal mind, the flesh, oh, I don't agree with you. Oh, so what? You know, I don't want anything to do with you. And so... This is an attribute of carnality. You see, whenever we accept Yeshua as our Savior and Lord, we are called to be His servants. Uh, we're to serve Him and serve His kingdom and to do His will. That's why Yeshua told parables about faithful servants and unfaithful servants. He's talking about believers in Him. So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, remember, we looked at the Strong's number 3516, and we looked at verses where it was translated as a babe. Now it says, when I was a child. So here it's translated as a child. When I was a child or a babe, I spake as a child or a babe. I understood as a child or a babe. I thought as a child. But when I became more mature, when I became a man, I put away babe or a child. I put away childish things. You see the principle that we are to grow in Messiah. You see, the church kind of frames it as in or out. Are you a believer or not a believer? And, you know, if you're a believer, you've kind of like met the goal, hang around for a little bit, live your life, and and uh, get the best reward for being a believer. Um, but what I'm showing you is in being a believer, there are immature believers and there are mature believers. And Yeshua wants you to be a, a believer and mature. And that's who He wants to dwell with in the second stage of the marriage. So, a disciple of Yeshua is to grow in spiritual maturity. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14. That we henceforth be no more babes. That we henceforth be no more children. 35.16. So here's another characteristic of a babe or a child. They're tossed to and fro. And they're carried about with every wind of doctrine. And you know what, uh, you know what is something... Um, that if you're spiritually immature, that will really cause you to be tossed to and fro. Um, if you come to um, seminars and conferences like this, and you find out you're supposed to be following the Torah after the church says you're not supposed to follow the Torah, and you realize that um, you've been told some things that are not true in the church, and you're bewildered by it, and you're so stunned and you're so shocked by it that you begin to think, um, is anything that I was taught in the church, is there anything that was true? I mean, if, if I was shown this that was untrue, is there anything true? So, one that is a babe, one that is a child that's tossed to and fro, they'll, they'll, they, they want to go Google this and they want to study this, they want to they, they wanna study that. And so, uh, now they've kind of got the teaching and they've got somewhat convinced that okay you're supposed to follow the Torah okay the Torah the Torah okay I'm supposed to follow the Torah I'm supposed to learn the Torah now how do I do that because I want to do that because that's what I'm supposed to do let's see the church the church no they don't follow the Torah let's see who follows the Torah um, you know I think the Jews follow the Torah yeah I, you know, I, I think they do and so maybe I'll go see what the Jews think about the Torah um, you know what do you think about the Messiah Yeshua is not the Messiah. 
um, uh, you know, what do you think about uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, you know, that, that's not how we see it. And so they say, well, you know, the church lied to us about these things, or maybe the church lied to us about whether Yeshua is the Messiah. So they think, well, maybe he's not the Messiah. And, you know, I don't even know whether we can trust the New Testament or not, because, you know, I don't understand that Paul guy. And, you know, so it's like, well, that's okay. The Torah, the Torah, okay, yeah, I'm supposed to follow the Torah. Um, let's see. Let's see, the Jews don't believe in Yeshua. Okay, well, you know, I think if I really want to follow the Torah, I want God to love me, because I want him to love me, because, you know, I'm supposed to follow the Torah, and he wants me to follow the Torah. And I really want him to love me, so, you know, I think what I'll do... I'll get rid of your shoe. I'll throw it in the ditch. You know, I don't need him anymore. Put some mud on him over there. But Paul, who needs Paul? You know, so, uh, you know, yeah, I think, I, I think I'll convert to Judaism. Yeah, I think I've, I've, I've arrived. I've arrived. I've, I've, I've got the truth now. I've got the truth now. Isn't it wonderful how uh, I got the truth? I was seeking for the truth, and I got the truth. You know, I did believe in Yeshua, and now I throw him in the ditch and put mud on him. Yeah, I got the truth now. Yeah, I'm in good shape. That's what a child does that's tossed to and fro. I mean, um, if you've read your Bible, um, at least you should have been solid in that Yeshua is the Messiah. At least you should solid know that the Bible teaches you're saved by grace through faith. And as a response of being set, in a response to being saved by grace through faith, you love him and keep his commandments. I mean, you should understand that the Bible clearly teaches that. So it's not everything that you've ever heard in church that is not true. It's just some things are not true. And um, if you're a loving parent and uh, your child does nine things right and one thing wrong, well, you want to help him to see that one thing that he does wrong, you want to get that in order. Now, just because he did that one thing wrong doesn't mean everything that he ever does all day is wrong. So, uh, one that is immature is able to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. But, we're to go from being a babe, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up. The truth in love causes you to grow up. The truth is the Torah. Psalm 119, verse 142. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your Torah is the truth. And so you need the Torah. You need instruction in the Torah, which gives um, understanding and wisdom to the simple. But when you are growing up into maturity, you begin to walk and display and show love. So it's truth in love that causes you to grow up into Him. You see, when you're a babe, you've not grown up into Messiah. But truth in love causes you to grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Messiah. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, we can also see the principle that we're growing in our knowledge of Messiah and our knowledge of the Torah as we're led by the Spirit. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Messiah, let us go on to perfection. It's, it's leaving the elementary understanding, leaving the milk of Messiah. Let us go on to, this says, perfection. And this word in Greek, which comes from uh, the Greek Strong's number 5046, it means spiritual maturity. Let's, let's go into spiritual maturity. And so now we're going to look at the Strong's number 5046. It's the Greek word teleos. Now, what was translated as perfection is teleotes, which is a word that is linked and associated with teleos. Teleos, teleotes. It's a derivative of teleos. And so, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, it says, But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. You see, Milk that you may grow, but milk you are carnal. Milk you are unskilled in the word of righteousness. But strong meat belongs to those who are mature, spiritually mature. 
even those who by reason of use, you see, you've got to practice the Word of God. You've got to practice the Word of God so that you can see that it's, His Word is real, His Word is true, not only because you read it on a piece of paper, not only because you was intellectually persuaded about it, but you've lived it. You've experienced it. And so, um, when it says, when Moses was sent to Pharaoh, and um, Yahweh Elohim said to him, um, I'm going to do this and this, so that Pharaoh and all of Egypt will know me, or my people will know who I am. That word know in Hebrew is yada. It means to know experientially. So the God of Israel wants us to know Him experientially. You know, when you're married to your spouse, um, you, you may um, see what they physically look like, and you may become aware in dating some of the things they believe and some of their values. But when you live with them every day, you're experiencing them. And so He wants you to ex know Him experientially, as well as in and through the word intellectually. Hebrews, in chapter 5, verse 12, it says, For when the time you ought to be teachers. You know, if you started going to church when you were young, and you went every week for 50 years, and um, you really had a heart to follow Yeshua and His ways, that means for 50 years, You've not just used church for your learning, but you've really tried to live a lifestyle and, uh, and, and you get all that you can and glean all that you can to learn and study of His Word and His ways. Um, after 50 years, you should be able to teach somebody else what it is to believe in Yeshua and walk the walk and what He asks and requires. And you should have some experiences in your life that you can testify and explain to people that, they're, that He's real. So there, when the time you ought to be teachers, you need that one teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you are become such as need of milk and not of strong meat. So Paul's dealing with people that should have grown. But he said you haven't grown. But strong meat belongs to those who are full age. The Strong's number 5046. The Greek word teleos, even by those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So we're going to begin to look at some scriptures that contain the Greek word teleos, which means full grown, adult, full age, mature, and related words um, to teleos. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20. Brethren, be not children in understanding, but in understanding be men. Be teleos. Be full age. Be strong meat. And so in order to be, be men in understanding, you need understanding and wisdom, which is further and detailed instruction in the Torah. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says, Howbeit we speak wisdom to those that are here, it's translated as perfect. Still the Strong's number 5046. Full grown, adult, full age, mature. We speak wisdom to those that are mature. Well, yeah, because in Psalms and Proverbs, it says that those that are simple those that are petite, those that are babe, those that are childish, they need to be taught in understanding and wisdom. And if you follow the Torah, you're a wise son. So we speak wisdom to those that are spiritually mature. And so if you know the code, Paul is saying, we speak the deeper things of the Torah to those that are spiritually mature. If you know the code, Paul's talking Torah code there. So it's only the ignorant that would read that verse. And Paul's not saying we're supposed to keep the Torah there. 
It's the simple that don't see that Paul's teaching the Torah. When you know the Torah, it's self-evident that Paul is not only teaching you the Torah, he's teaching you the meat of the Torah in the New Testament. So Colossians chapter 1 verse 28, it says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man, teaching every man in all wisdom. And so the Torah is wisdom and understanding. He also said Yeshua is the wisdom of God. So if I'm leading and teaching everyone in all wisdom, I'm teaching them about the Messiah and who He is and what it means to follow Him. And I'm teaching you about the Torah and what it means to follow the Torah. So I'm teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man telegos. Perfect. Full grown. Complete. Mature. You see what Paul's goal is? Yes, he told you how to become a believer. But what he's doing in his life and what he's trying to teach believers is how to grow from a babe to spiritual maturity because Messiah wants people that are spiritually mature. He wants a mature bride. And that's the bride that he's going to dwell with. I mean, think about it in the natural. Would you marry a three or a five-year-old? No, you want them to be mature. Well, Messiah wants his bride to be mature as well. Once again, I remind you, when Paul says that teaching every man in all wisdom, wisdom is following the Torah. First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 12. Only Yahweh give you wisdom and understanding that you may keep the Torah. Psalm 119, verse 34. Give me understanding and I will keep your Torah. So Matthew chapter 5, Yeshua gives a message which is commonly labeled and called the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So then he goes through and he, he shares and he teaches a variety of things. And after he shares these variety of things, he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Be ye therefore spiritually mature, full aged, be therefore strong meat, even as your Father which is in heaven is spiritually mature. And so be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now if you read this in English with logic, you know how you're going to think of the word perfect? Never sin. He's not telling you that you are not going to ever sin. And it goes back to, in the Torah, and you can only see this if you look at the Hebrew, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2. Leviticus 19, verse 2 says, Be holy, even as I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so if you look at that in the Hebrew, um, be holy is kadosh. And in the Hebrew... In that verse, in the Torah scroll, there's a missing vav for the word kadosh. A vav is the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and kadosh is spelled with a vav, normally. And so when it says, you be holy, he's speaking to the children of Israel, you be holy, there's a missing vav. For I am holy, the vav is there. And the message is that we can have a spiritual status which the God of Israel regards as being holy. It's not the same level of holiness as Him because He's got holy fully spelled. Our holy is not fully spelled. It's got a missing valve. Okay, so He can give us the status of holy. It's not His degree of holy, but it's still in the category of holy. Just like in school... Uh, in a normal grading skill, 90 to 100 is an A. Well, a 90 is an A, but it's not a 100. So you can still have a status of an A, but not the status of A+. Plus. So he's A+, plus and we're A or A-. minus. So he's still higher than us. So this is where, and the meaning behind, 
be spiritually mature. So our spiritual maturity is less than the father's spiritual maturity, but yet it is regarded as being an adult in spiritual things. So our goal is to grow in maturity and be mature like Messiah lived his life in maturity to do the will of his father. Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 13 says, Till we all come into the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a teleos man. And so look what is an attribute of maturity, unity of the faith. Well, guess what? The body of Messiah doesn't have unity of the faith. There's a zillion denominations. So we come to the unity of the faith, and the unity is knowing Him, the knowledge of Him. So spiritual maturity is coming to a full knowledge of who He is. And so, um, you know, the church at large have heard, and they are aware, that Yeshua died on the tree, and He is your Savior. Now, let's know that He's the lawgiver. That he, that he gave the Torah at Mount Sinai. And so I've had experiences, even in this country, and I'll, I can't remember the last time I was here, the, the time before I was here, I had an opportunity to speak in London. And this was a monthly pastor's meeting. And so you know my style of how I share things. I just take this scripture, this scripture, this scripture. And so believe it or not, about 20 pastors, I had 45 minutes to an hour to share. And you know what I shared on? Who Yeshua is. I mean, a pastor should know who Yeshua is. So I shared from John 1 that he created the heavens and the earth. I shared from Galatians 3. And I shared uh, cross-referencing to Genesis 17, 17, 17, 7. That Yeshua made covenant with Abraham. That Yeshua is the right hand. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 6, that defeated Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. That Yeshua is the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that led the children of Israel in the wilderness. That Yeshua is the angel of the Lord in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, that appeared to Moses. And then at the end, I said, oh, he's also the one that gave the Torah at Mount Sinai. Because it says in James chapter 4, verse 12, the one that saves, that's Yeshua, is also the lawgiver. Well, there were several pastors that just got mad. They yelled at me. Because here they're supposed to represent Yeshua. They liked the fact that he was Savior and his grace. But, you know, they did not like that he was lawgiver. How dare you think or tell us or, or you know, that he's lawgiver and somehow that means we need to follow Torah. No! You know, so they, they love that he's Savior. They want to marry the Savior. Um, but they want to divorce the lawgiver. So they haven't come to the fullness of the knowledge of Messiah. If you know he's Savior, but you don't know he's lawgiver, there's, there's more of him that you don't know. And there's a depth in him that you don't know that in knowing him, he's calling you to follow him. And so it says... Do we come to the knowledge of the Son of God into a mature or a complete man into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Messiah? See, that's the goal of a follower of Messiah. To come into spiritual maturity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Messiah. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9. In being made perfect, this is a derivative of teleos. This is not 5046, it's 5048. It's a derivative of teleos. And be made whole, complete, spiritually mature. So Yeshua was spiritually mature. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all those that obey Him. And so here's the number 5048. It's, see, it's from 5046. It's teleu instead of teleos. The derivative of teleos. And it says in John 17, verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work that you've given me to do. I've 
come to maturity of the work that you've given me to do. I'm full age of the work that you've given me to do. I've completed. Now look what happens when you are following Messiah in maturity, what the outcome is. You will do His will and you will glorify Him in the earth. One who's walking in spiritual maturity will be faithful to Yeshua to do His will and in doing His will will be a light to others and being a light to others you will glorify Him in the earth. So from this, I hope you can see at least the concept and the principle that it's not just believing or not believing. And if you believe you've met the goal, that in believing you are betrothed to Yeshua, the first of the two stages. And He wants you to be faithful once you've been betrothed. Now how do you be faithful? Well, you take the, the milk and you grow. And you grow up into spiritual maturity. You crucify the flesh. You're led by the Spirit. So you grow into maturity. And when He sees that we're mature, He is coming for a people that is mature within His body who He's going to want to come and physically dwell with in the second stage of the marriage and they are going to rule and reign with Him. Since they're spiritually mature in the Torah, guess what they're going to do? They're going to teach the Torah with Yeshua to all nations when He sets up His kingdom from Jerusalem as we're told in Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 3. So we're going to take a lunch break right now and have a time of fellowship with each other. And we will continue our studies and, and see these principles in further detail when we start our next session. So let's all at this time um, have a good time of fellowship together, have some lunch. And when lunch is over, we will resume our studies approximately an hour, but we're not going to be... Uh, so straight on, we'll have a little bit of flexibility. And so uh, let's all uh, be blessed, have fellowship with one another, and we will resume our next session after lunch. Shalom.